Well, this is not a good start. I'm already crying. <laughs> uh, it's just an emotional time for me to be able to be back and to see all of you again. I haven't stood at this spot for about, well, I guess it's about 15, 16 months, something like that, and I have not seen this new stage. I mean, I saw it right before I was leaving. I saw it just kind of, you know, the bits and pieces of it that were being put together, and I haven't even seen this. This is new. This, I get to preach from the new pulpit. This is great. <laughs> But I'm especially excited because I get to see the class of 2021. I get to see your faces, or well, I guess technically I get to see your eyes, but I will take that. <laughs> it's better than nothing. We've had lots of great times together, haven't we? I met you when you were in your eighth grade year and I know I didn't get to meet all of you during that time, but I did meet some of you who I started doing Bible studies with during that time. And that's one of my favorite things to do. And I was so excited that Abby is, got baptized today. I think that's just so incredible. There is really nothing better than doing Bible studies with students and, and adults and then seeing just them give their hearts and lives to Jesus. And then... We went on several mission trips. I know some of you did, went on different mission trips with me. The last year, the mission trip didn't happen, which was the junior year. And I still remember being in the youth room in the back and all of us adults coming together and talking about that mission trip and saying how, you know, this was gonna be our last planning meeting. We're so ready for this trip. And as we all sit down, the nurse turns to all of us and says, I don't think it's a good idea for this mission trip to happen. And that kind of just took me aback because I thought, oh, well, COVID is not that bad, is it? And then suddenly it was bad. And then the next day we canceled the mission trip and then a week after that, the president announced that it is a global pandemic. It just went really fast. But the years before that, I got to know many of you in this class because of the mission trips. Some of you went to Puerto Rico, right? Raise your hand if you went to Puerto Rico on that trip. Okay, see some hands. And then some of you also went to Peru. Let me see those hands. Okay, so there was a few, yes. And that was probably the toughest mission trip I had ever been on. And I know that almost all of you said the same thing, that it was a really tough trip. But we also got the most impacted, right? because God really showed his power in a way that never would have happened if things would have just been easy for us. Anyways, let's get into the word of God today, but before we do so, let's pray. Lord God, I just pray that you are the one who is with us right now, that you are the one who speaks. May these be your words and not mine. And may every single one of us just leave having heard from you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So when I said that I would speak for this, I had asked Mrs. Whitmore to send me what each class does every time, which is to write up what the class text is and the motto and the class aim. And the class aim was what really stood out to me 
because the class aim said, succeed in the face of adversity. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, you know, if there is one class, one group of students that can teach everyone else how to succeed in face of adversity, it's you. It's your class. Because you have had to push through tough things to get to this point, to get to this day, to reach this milestone. And COVID has made things tough, but on top of that, we all have things in our own lives, right? We have things that are going on in each one of our families. And some of you have had big losses in your lives. We have all had something. And I've heard a psychologist once say that, you know, COVID has been a little bit different for every person. Some people have kind of gone through it, you know, imagine it's a storm on the sea. Some people have kind of gone through it on a yacht. Maybe it's those super introverts who thought it was amazing to be by themselves. Not me. I had to be in a one-bedroom apartment for most of it, where we, which, which was totally fine until COVID, right? Because all the way until then, we just came home and we slept and that was it. We had one bed, one futon that was a couch, and two chairs. And that's all we needed. But during COVID, it was like prison, because that is all that we would be able to stay in. And we also had three bikes in there and two kayaks most of the time. So you can imagine, it was like being in prison. But for some, it would have been like a yacht because you just loved being by yourself. For some others, it was more like a fishing boat. For some, it was more like a rowboat where you're just really rowing and trying your hardest. And then for some, it was like holding on to driftwood. And I see by nodding heads that you agree, because it is true. For each one of us, it has been different. But that does not mean that for each one of us, it hasn't been difficult in some way. And yes, I believe that your class can teach us and that you would say, you would give me things if I asked you to write down, what is it that helps us succeed in face of adversity? I'm pretty sure that you would give me things and that all of those would be right and maybe we would all come up with different things and they would all be good. So as I was thinking through this, I thought of a story in the Bible who I believe that we all know really well those of us who have grown up in the church have heard the story since we were little kids. And we admire the main character of the story, the star of this story. Can you guess who I'm thinking of? The person who has gone through a lot of adversity, who was a slave in Egypt, and then was thrown in prison, Joseph. Joseph had gone through a lot in his life. And as I was thinking through his story, I thought, you know, what is it that I would say are the greatest things about him that he could show us on how to succeed going through adversity? And I know that there's many things that he could teach us, but there are two things that especially stood out to me. 
And I want us to just kind of look at the story and especially the beginning part of the story because we're not gonna be able to go through all of it. It's a long story. But I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 39. And I want you to notice something that it says about Joseph. It says in verse two, chapter 39 and verse two, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. The word for successful man, or the words there are, um, the word for man is ish, and for successful is the word hatzliach. And that word means, so it's like ish hatzliach, successful man. And the word means somebody who reaches a goal, someone who is prosperous, who, you know, who um, is able to get somewhere in life. And that's what it says about Joseph, that he is a successful man. But how does he do it? Well, these are the two things that I believe are some of the most important out of everything that I see in his life. Number one, where others would sabotage, Joseph supports. Where others would sabotage, Joseph supports. Now I want us to just go through the beginning of part of the story so that you can see how it all starts. And I know you know the story, but we'll read from chapter 37 from verse three. It says, now Israel, Jacob, his dad, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Joseph was born into a family of favoritism. And you could say, well, perhaps his dad didn't know any better because his dad himself came from favoritism. His mom loved him and his dad loved his brother. And you could say, well, you can't even blame Jacob, really, because he only loved that one wife. He only wanted one wife. But then through trickery, he got another one, and then because those two were fighting all the time and wanted more children, he got two more. So is it really his fault that he only loved the one wife? But you can see from the start here that really he is not living out what I just said. Because he himself, Jacob, sabotages. He does not support. He's not willing to now, because all of this unfairness happened to him, he's not willing to give the love to the rest of his sons. He will only give it to the one, or the two, really. Well, the story continues, says, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. It says that his whole life, they never said anything nice to him. Can you imagine that? Constantly living with that? And yet, Joseph still loved them. And when his dad said, go and, and find them and bring them food and just find out, make sure that they're okay, he says, oh yeah, I will go do that, dad. Then it says, now Joseph had a dream. So on top of everything else, him getting this, co this new coat, it says he has a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, 
Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. They said, are you crazy? We're never going to bow down to you. They suspected that his dad, that their dad thought of him as the firstborn. That's why he gave him the coat of many colors. Because it wasn't about Reuben or about any of the others. It was really about about Joseph because he was the son of the wife that he loved. And even later on, when Jacob describes his family, he says, I have one wife, the wife that I love, and the others are women who gave me children. So they knew that this is a possibility, and this dream was probably more than what they were letting on to, and that's why they hated him. And then he says, I had another dream. And he tells them, he said, look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bow down to me. He told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I, your brothers, indeed bow down to you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His dad rebuked him because he knew what was going on, that they would never accept this and he needed to say something. But he kept it in mind because he knew something is going on. God has a plan. But his brothers now, we are given the real reason of why they hate him. It's because they envy him. They envy him the position and also what these dreams mean. These dreams mean that he will be more than them. They will be less than him. And they couldn't imagine being less than Joseph. They would never support someone like that. Each one of them wanted to be the greatest. Each one of them wanted to be the star of the story. But what happens when you and I are not the stars of the story. How do we react then? Have you ever thought, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that all of us have thought, oh, well, wouldn't it be amazing to be Joseph? And that's the one that we would like to be in that story, to be successful and to be second in command, to have this amazingly successful life in the end. But have you ever thought, oh, I would like to be Reuben, or I would like to be Judah. Anybody? <laughs> no. None of us would want that. And I'm not talking about just the way that they reacted, but Reuben or Judah, the way they should have reacted. And what is that? By forgiveness and support and not sabotage, but yet, isn't it so hard for us to actually support someone else who is the star? Because we all want to be the stars. You know, I've told all of you, the, the class, that I wanted to be a medical doctor, and I really wanted to do that because I wanted to be great at something and make a difference in the world. What I didn't tell you is 
something I don't really talk about much, and that is that there was something else that I really wanted. I wanted to be a Christian artist that would travel around with a band. <laughs> and you think, really? That's not possible. Well, I love to sing, always did since I was little, but I always knew that I didn't have the kind of voice to be able to do it. But for a while, that, that, that really bothered me because I wanted to be that person that could do something. And, and honestly, I mean, if you're a, a, a Christian artist that is traveling with a band, well, then you are a star, right? And that was one of the main reasons. I would have told you, well, no, that's because they sing and then they talk about God in between, but really it was because they were a star. It took me a little while to realize that it's okay for me to be me and that I can support those who are better at singing and that I can support anyone who is better at something than I am, even if that is the something that I would really love to do. I was instead called to be a pastor. But you know, being a pastor doesn't make you suddenly immune from wanting to be a star, right? Because pastors are on a stage. And there are plenty of pastors who just kind of get caught up in the competition of which one of them is going to have the better sermon and how many more people are going to watch my sermon than that person's sermon. Or it can even be a competition for us, ourselves, because it can just be, well, I have to create the greatest sermon I have ever preached right now, and then the next time I preach, well, then it better be even better. And each time it has to be better than it was the last time. You know that's impossible, right? It's absolutely impossible. There's no such thing as the greatest sermon anyways. There's only the greatest God who works in hearts and lives and who uses whatever it is that we say. Otherwise, it can be flowery and sound amazing and people can even walk away and say, that was a great sermon and it'd have absolutely no effect in their hearts. And what is the point of that? I don't know what each one of you have chosen to do in the future, or like Heather was saying, I'm not sure. And that's okay. That's okay. I just don't want you to get into that pattern that so many people get into, and that is that we try to sabotage instead of support. You know what Joseph does? He supports everywhere that he goes. He does it with his brothers, and as soon as, I already talked about this, that his dad says, go and find them, and he says, okay, I'm going. But then they sell him, and he goes into Egypt, and while he gets there, he could have said, well, okay, he's gonna be hateful and angry, and not just at his brothers, but at his masters. He is a slave now. So he's going to be 
resentful and angry and try to sabotage them. Why would he do his best for Potiphar? It doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't, he, why wouldn't he just do the bare minimum that he had to do? But he doesn't because he is supporting. He wants to do his best for someone else. Even if that person is going to be successful and he will not, he will still do his best. And then he is thrown in prison and he does the same exact thing, supporting the keeper of the prison so that the prison will do well. Because it is not about him. And yet when we look at the story, we see Joseph as the star, don't we? Number two, where others would blame God for their troubles. Joseph holds on to God even more tightly. It would be so easy for him to just say, God, forget you. Look at this. First I'm a slave and now I'm in prison. But instead, and he turns to God and he continues to hold on to him. And I'm guessing that he asked the same questions we all ask. Why God? Why is it that I'm here? And how long am I going to have to go through this? But then he would always say, God, I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you anyways. I may not see the future, but I choose to trust you. And we see someone now when we read his story who is a star that we want to be like. But you know, for Joseph, it was never about being that star. You know what it was about? He knew something. He knew that his God is the star. And he was going to lift up that star. And every time someone came to him and asked him, well, we've heard that you can interpret dreams, he would say, no, no, I can't. Only God can. He never took credit for anything that God gave him. It was always about God. And that's what I want for you graduates. I want you to succeed. I know your parents want you to succeed. The reason why they sent you to the Adventist school and they sacrificed, I know many of them sacrificed to do this, is because they want you to succeed, but also because they want you to have a close relationship with Jesus. And because, like me, they want you to make Jesus the star. We can all want to be the stars of the story, but we will only truly succeed 
in the face of adversity, if we constantly in our lives over and over keep making Jesus the star? And you know what I find absolutely incredible in this story? And this is something that I didn't really pay attention to until I was looking at this for this sermon. I want you to go with me to chapter, we're still in 37, I guess, where it says at the beginning that his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said, here I am. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. You know why his father is worried about Shechem, right? Because Shechemites are the people who the, the brothers slaughtered. They killed them because of what happened with their sister. And then it says in verse 15, would you pay attention to this? It says, now a certain man found him and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. It says that there's a certain man who found him. If somebody finds you, then they have to be looking for you, right? They don't just find you randomly because otherwise he would say that they met you. It means that this man is looking for him. Who is this man? Well, there's another time that this exact same phrase of the man is mentioned. And that's in the few chapters right before, at the end of chapter 32, where it says in verse 24, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until breaking of dawn. That man is Jesus himself, who came to wrestle with Jacob and then he comes to find Joseph. Before everything goes bad in Joseph's life, Jesus shows up as if to say, I am here, Joseph. I will never let go of you. Now notice that Jesus does not remove him from the terrible things that happen in his life. But Jesus is there going through every single situation with him. And he, and he shows up to him before all of this happens to say, don't worry. I will always be with you. I will always be seeking after you. He is always looking for each one of us. He will keep looking for every single one of you. He will never let go of any of you. And my prayer for each one of you is that you remember that but that you also remember to make him the star of your story.